Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. Uh, we are talking today with Dr. Peter Ellsborg. Uh, he works at Steno Diabetes Center in Copenhagen, Denmark. I saw this paper actually flash across my Twitter feed one day and it caught my eye. And Dr. Ellsborg has been kind enough to come on and share this paper. So here we go with a new episode of Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education. So this actually uh, is actually an open access article, so it's very easy to access. Uh, we're highlighting it today. Uh, it's titled Sport-Based Recreation as a Means to Address Social Inequality in Health. Why, When, Where, Who, What, and How? And we'll get to all those questions uh, when we discuss the article. It just recently came out in BMC Public Health, so thank you so much for coming on and joining us. No, thank you. I'm excited to be on. And I'll also uh, like to quickly acknowledge my all my co-authors and other colleagues. I mean, the paper was indeed a result of a joint effort. I mean, uh, many people also not authoring the the, the article also greatly compute, uh, contributed. But I'm sure we'll also get into that a little bit later. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I'm I'm really excited to have you on. I I love the fact that we can get people from all uh, all parts of the world on. Um, and I read this article and I, it really resonated with me as many of the concepts that you argue in this specific paper are really relevant to the work I've done personally in after school settings and as well as what a lot of scholars are screaming from the rooftops here in the U.S. in the field of physical education. So before we get started with this paper, can you just give us a bit of a personal background about yourself? Uh, what's your position? What type of research do you do? And uh, why did you decide to write this specific paper? Yeah, well, uh, originally I have my master's and a PhD from the University of Copenhagen at the Department of Nutrition, Exercise and Sports. Uh, but as you say, right now I'm working as a postdoc at the, the Steno Diabetes Center, where we have a section for health promotion research. Uh, and more specifically, I'm in a group uh, where we focus on children, youth and settings uh, and we do a lot of intervention and uh, development research uh, on evaluating uh, complex interventions and, and so forth. I mean, my main uh, research interest has always been the psychological factors behind uh, both physical activity and sports participation. Um, and, and right now we're doing a, a research and development project that, that, that is called ASPEL. Uh, and the project is uh, funded by the Novo Nordisk Foundation. Uh, and we at Steno, we, we uh, are collaborating with uh, an NGO uh, here in Denmark that is called GAME. Uh, GAME, they're running an educational program for young people uh, who come from vulnerable neighborhoods all around Denmark. Um, and, and these young people, they when they come to game, they're educated in facilitating street sport activities uh, in their neighborhoods. They're, they're educated as being uh, what game called playmakers. Um, and so I'm, a, I'm part of a research team from Steno who, uh, who's in, who are responsible for evaluating this program. And, uh, and in this process, we started reviewing uh, literature and uh, we found so many good uh, arguments for the utilization of, uh, of of sports-based recreation as a as a mean to because game is a is an NGO that uh, that wants to promote sport uh, and we are a health uh, focusing organization you could say and and this in combination really had something to it so we started uh, um, and they have this peer-to-peer -peer, uh, approach 
at game because they're educating youth uh, in hosting activities for younger people and uh, and we started doing a review on these uh, on this approach in relation to physical activity intervention uh, and this review should be coming out very shortly as well it was it was uh, first authored by uh, Julie Christensen, who's an industrial PhD on the prog- program. Uh, and and while we're doing this review, we also we, we thought that this this is a very good argument and that, that it was not argued this way before. And that's why we decided to do this debate paper. Right. And it, it seems like it really lines up for the work that you're doing in in this specific paper. You look at the effects of low socioeconomic status on a variety of factors such as health, which includes both social and mental health. Can you expand a little bit on that? I mean, we all know that uh, non-communicable diseases uh, constitute a major and increasing public health challenge. Yeah. And that's in, in everywhere, both in high, low and middle income countries. And we know that, uh, for example, from the great work of Michael Mama, that the, the lower on the social hierarchy you are, then the, the greater uh, risk you have of developing these uh, preventable diseases uh, and the lower your life ex- uh, span expectancy is. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and studies show that living in uh, social and economic disadvantaged neighborhoods, I mean neighborhoods with a high percentage of people uh, that has very little financial and educational resources have a huge uh, negative impact on, on mental and social health. And the... Uh, uh, yeah, so so there's there's obviously this huge problem with uh, with socioeconomic status uh, and health, and there's a huge inequity in health. Yeah. So, what was the purpose of this specific paper? And you talked about it was more of a debate style paper. Yeah, we wanted to to argue thoroughly, both empirically but also theoretically, why it's it's a good idea to base the intervention or programs on on sports-based uh, recreation uh, and especially why it's a good idea uh, when the aim is to increase participation in, uh, in meaningful physical activities uh, of young people with, low, uh, with a low SES background. And you, you lay out the paper with a, with a bunch of questions, why, when, where, so on. And the first three parts, which are when, where, and how, you, you explain these by presenting three health promotion approaches and you argue for how they, in combination, illuminate when in an individual's life it's important to intervene, where interventions would be most effective, and who the target group should be when your goal overall is to re- reduce that social inequality. Can you explain that? Yeah. Well, we uh, we present this uh, triangle of these three health promotion theories, as you mentioned, and uh, and how they, in combination, are an argument for increasing access to uh, sports based recreation um, in uh, in lower CS youth. And then, I mean, the life cost perspective, uh, the setting perspective, and the vulnerable population approaches are the names of the theories uh, or the approaches that that uh, that we that we uh, discuss in combination. Uh, and the life work perspective was presented by Mark Hansen, and it illustrates how uh, the risk of uh, developing uh, NCD gradually uh, accumulates across the life course. And it also, at the same time, illustrates how uh, intervening early in, in people's life have a much larger impact uh, compared to if you wait 
to do the intervention when the in, uh, non-communicable disease actually hits. So in other words, this is our argument that we should target youth and children uh, without intervention. Uh, and also it's our argument uh, for doing this type of research uh, at, a, at a hospital that focuses on, on diabetes. Yeah, and you have some good visuals in there in the in the manuscript as well about uh, some charts that show what that effect can be. Um, yeah, we have yeah we have this figure showing how how uh, the risk of of getting an NCD is accumulated across the lifetime, and then and then you can see what what the effect is of intervening early compared to what it is intervening very late in life. Yeah, and then then and then the other. Uh, um, Approaches uh, that we that we uh, that we focus on is the vulnerable population approach, which is presented by Katrine Frolik and uh, Louis Potwin in two thousand eight as a sort of a response to Jeffrey Rose's iconic article on uh, sick people and sick population, and the, and they uh, and I mean Rose he talked about moving an entire population and they and not focusing on risk uh, individuals so not singling out people who need to change behavior uh, and focus on the whole entire population. And Froelich and Popwine say you still need to focus on populations that are at risk. So not singling out individuals, but, but f uh, if you move the entire population, you, you keep the inequity the same. If you want to do something about inequity, you need to focus on populations that are at risk. So, so we don't single out people that need physical activity and that are obese where we think about areas where the prevalence of mm -hmm. of uh, obesity is higher yeah and this is this, this is what we call the uh, what they call the vulnerable population approach right yeah. so you also argue in this paper that using the sport-based recreation activities for children and youth in these low SES neighborhoods is a really good way to combine the vulnerable population a life course and, and setting-based approach, all while preventing and addressing the, these social inequalities in these lifestyle diseases. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, the setting approach, uh, we use that for uh, arguing that, I mean, people living in these areas, they have very, very low mobility. And so it's very important that the interventions or, or the programs that they they are to engage in are in close proximity, so it needs to be in their set in their everyday setting. It needs to be part of their everyday life. Um, I mean, uh, when we talk about sports-based uh, recreation, it's a it's a, it's leisure time active uh, involvement in activities that uh, that have physical activity, but are but are, and are at the same time inspired by the playful elements of sports, so that it. it uh, it has inherent uh, inherent meaning. So uh, it's, it's not necessarily an elite football club or an elite basketball club. It's more of that play-oriented, uh, being physically active and finding enjoyment in that, but doing it inside, let's say, the local community center or just in the, in the school that they attend to reduce that uh, mobility issue, yeah? I mean, what I mean, what we're trying to uh, argue here for it could be done in the local community. It could be done in the uh, at the local sports club, or it could be done somewhere else. I mean, it's not so much 
where it could be done, but we just know that uh, in, in these areas, this it's more effective. It's if it's in the communities, we probably come back to that a little later when we talk about the four practicalities. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, um, well, but what we argue for here in the paper is not one specific program. It's more of a, an ingredient to put into into the program, and then you can arrange the program around these ingredients. So it's 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 this uh, sports based. Uh, uh, Recreational activities. So you're very right. It's it's not something that uh, trying to develop a talent or develop elite athletes. Mm -hmm. it, it's definitely uh, with a focus on creating a community around an activity. Yeah. But but it's sports based because we know that the element of com the competitive element of sport is is also uh, a contributor to. Uh, intrinsic motivation and enjoyment i mean it's enjoyable it's fun to compete if you do it uh in in an environment that is uh, at the same time uh, a, a task oriented environment yeah uh, and and, a, and 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 an environment that focuses on on the on creating a community around the activity absolutely now let's get into the what question from your title can you explain the program you're arguing for here what does it look like? And you talked a little bit uh, already that you're not talking about one specific curriculum or one specific thing, but can you kind of elaborate a little bit about how does how does that work? Yeah, I mean, as, as you say, it's it's more an ingredient in that you can use in a program. I would say. I mean, and and it's just because we see so many uh, papers about the the benefits of physical activity and it's studies that study the participants that that are running on a treadmill and then increase their physiological health or they're doing a exercise on a bike and increase their physiological health and 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 uh, and while this have, might have effects on on people's physical health i mean if if you do these type of activities instead of of doing a, a social uh, sporting activity, you might miss out on some of the social and mental health that that uh, that comes along with that. With that, and and so we thought that the that uh, I mean, the numerous numerous studies show that sport participation is greatly associated with physiological health, but it has a lot more as well yeah. to it. And that's a great point. And you talked a little bit already about one factor of adherence, meaning what keeps youth engaged, which you talked about a little bit of that competition, that social aspect. Are there any other things that um, you argue for that keeps youth engaged in these activities? I mean, one thing that we can definitely agree on in the sport and exercise psychology field is that the one thing that is vital for uh, adherence for youth in sport is uh, enjoyment or uh, what they call uh, intrinsic motivation in the self-determination theory. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so, and and this means that the activity in itself needs to ha have meaning in, in itself. So you, you need to play basketball because you like playing basketball and not because you want to be healthy or because you want to win. I mean, if you play basketball because you like playing basketball, then you will have a, a, a significant increase in the, the likelihood that you will continue to do this. So, 
Uh, but then you you also need to take into consideration that that uh, there are different contexts in different neighborhoods and and different target groups that have different uh, uh, things they like and things yeah. they get motivated by, and so so you also need to tailor the the intervention to to the to the ones that you're trying to reach. But 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 the the main the main thing about the uh, the activities is they they have to be fun, they have to be enjoyable, and they have to be meaningful in themselves. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of a lot of research in the field of physical education as well that talks about meaningful uh, activities and enjoyment and you know integrating this. You know, yeah. But I think it it also there are people who fight against that and say that you know fun shouldn't be the focus of physical education well yes but i think it has to have a, a major major contributor if we want students to continue doing these activities when they leave the school i think you that you know pushing that enjoyment piece is is something that i think has attraction across all of these fields so now how does how does one pull this whole thing off i mean there there are definite barriers to engagement in programs to youth who live in communities affected by poverty, and you list a few in your paper. Can you uh, list the four practicalities, as you call them, aimed at reducing barriers for sustainable engagement in sport-based recreation among children and youth living in these uh, low SES neighborhoods? Yes, of course. I mean, uh, and first of all, I would like to say that, that there are only suggestions, and, and I mean, it's what we find in the literature that there are some sort of uh, evidence for and and also in talking with practice and what they they experience i mean so it's it's no is in no way an uh, exhaustive list there's, there's probably a lot of more that you could argue for or good ideas but for the the four things that we propose are that the, the intervention should be uh, free of charge and it uh, should be possible to do with the with the almost no facilities or equipment and uh, it should be located located uh, in the in the local neighborhoods where the children uh, and youth live. So that's what we already talked a little bit about. And uh, and then finally, it should be tailored to the to the specific target group. Yeah, and these are pretty simple, as you acknowledge in the paper. But you do have that logic model in the paper that I would encourage everyone to go view, uh, which makes a lot of sense. And the fact that you have published this open access. Um, it makes it easier for people to just go on, click on the notes section, and uh, look at that logic model. But can you walk the listeners through this approach? I mean, yeah, it's 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 basically an an, an overview of the entire article. I mean, uh, where in the in the first column we we list all these arguments that I was uh, talking about in the beginning of of our conversation of that social equity and health exist and that. Uh, that marginal, uh, marginalized uh, uh, citizens, they have very low mobility and intervention has greater impact uh, if you do it early in life, as we talked about. And that, that uh, sports-based recreation, that evidence points to that, that it has a major impact on both social, mental and physical health. Uh, and uh, so that's the overall argument for why mm -hmm. we do this paper. And then we, we I list the three... Uh, uh, theoretical uh, approaches that we talked about and how they 
in combination means that you should target low SES groups in the everyday setting, and then you should target low SES youth, and then the, then how, that you should make sustainable changes so that it it it, uh, it it's a change that that are sustainable throughout the life course, and how that these three uh, arguments in combination means that increasing access to uh, to, to sports based recreation uh, in youth. Uh, in low SES neighborhoods is a good idea. Um, yeah, so so that's basically the model that we that we did. Yeah, and and and, and the logic logic behind that is if if you do increase this access, then you get increased uh, physical activity across the whole life course, and if you do that, you get increased health and well-being for uh, for low SES groups in society and. And that means, in in the end, that you reduce inequity uh, in both social, mental, and physical health. Yeah, and and I'm interested to hear back on maybe we'll have you back once you have completed some of that work implementing these these concepts in um, in Denmark. And so, what are some concluding thoughts that you have uh, for the paper? Uh, I mean, I think that uh, it's it's important to to work with with the people living in these areas that have a high degree of poverty because uh, we know that uh, inequity uh, is not only present in uh, in health it's uh, it's present in a lot of, of factors that are important to people's lives and we, and it's important to to do something to to try and uh, and reduce this to have a, a, a more equal society and and what we argue for here is definitely that that the increasing access to meaningful physical activities through sport based re- recreation is is certainly a means that that uh, that we that both we as researchers needs to look more into but also that uh, policy needs to to promote uh, yeah. And yeah. so what are the kind of next action steps? Like what would you like people to do after reading this article or listening to this podcast? Is this something that should be taken up by teachers, by people who work in after school or before school care, professors, is it policy, is it politicians? Who can have the most effect on implementing action steps that people would read from this paper? I mean, I definitely think that uh, all the groups you mentioned have important roles to play. And uh, I mean, in terms of research, uh, it's uh, it's important to take into account that these programs can be very tricky to produce research results on. I mean, it's a different difficult target group to, for example, have filling in questionnaires or, mm-hmm. and and so it's difficult to create really solid evidence about. And and this is important both for researchers but also for funders and politicians to acknowledge that uh, uh, that sometimes uh, the evidence is not going to look the same as the evidence of uh, let's say in medical research or stuff mm-hmm. like that, or something like that yeah. and 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 but still say that, that that doesn't mean that we just uh, need to implement what we think works we still need to find uh, to produce the, the best possible evidence that we can yeah. I mean, even if it's not an RCT or a cluster randomized controlled trial, yeah. I mean, you can, you can still apply quantitative methods in other ways. Uh, so, 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 so I think that's uh, important to acknowledge. Uh, 
Um, but then, I mean, yeah, it's also important that that, that the the interventions uh, we develop is that we keep on developing in uh, based on on uh, on actual data, and we we base it on sound behavioral theory, and and we take the context in and the target group into consideration. And I mean, and and I think that it's important for for these groups that you uh, that you mentioned that they that they develop. Uh, collaborations, and I think our project uh, is a is a good example of where we are working in close collaboration with the with the NGO that actually does it in practice. So it's so it's research and practice in collaboration, and and when we do these uh, collaborations, then they can come really fruitful things out of it. So I think that's important that they that that the we start doing projects that have both researchers and practitioners in, in them and that they work together and learn from each other. Yeah, and I think that there are, they're starting to do some of that in, in the U.S. context at least, um, but I think that that is something that should be looked at way more in depth of actually combining those people who are the practitioners and know what's happening with yeah. the research expertise. So um, Yeah, because they can help us with how to conduct the research in practice and how to best approach. And then they can also learn. I mean, that's what happened in our project. They also learn from us that, okay, uh, we need to uh, take into consideration what actually works and not just go with our gut. And, yeah. Yeah. It, it, getting out of that top-down research approach of coming, yeah. you know, some top-down and some bottom-up and, and meeting in the middle. So Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, can you let people know where they can find more information on any current work you're doing or on any social media that you have? I mean, you should definitely come out uh, on the Steno Diabetes Center uh, on Twitter. Uh, and Game is on is very active on Twitter as well and and, uh, uh, and all the other platforms, LinkedIn and so forth. And that 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 that's probably the easiest way, and we also have this review coming out very soon. And we'll yeah. we'll link to all of those uh, yeah. on the notes, and maybe by the time this comes out, that the review is out as well. So, yeah. uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, as I said, we'll link to the article in the notes section, especially because it is open access, so it's easy to yeah. click on and start reading the paper for more in depth and looking at all the. Um, logic model models and figures that we talked about so uh, that's all we have for you on this one thanks for listening thank you <laughs>